Bible reading this morning. The Bible reading this morning is 2 Samuel 7, verses 18 to 29. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And as if that was nothing in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about what is coming for me and my descendants, for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know me well, Sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done great things and shown it to me, your servant. How great are you, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. And we have received in our, as we have received in our own hearts. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your own people forever and you, Lord, became their God. And now, Lord, keep forever your, people, your promise about me and my family. Do as you promised, so that your name will flourish forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And David's family will be established before you in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to me. Now be pleased to bless me and my descendants that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing my descendants will be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Great, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that nothing is hidden from you. You create us, you formed us. Pray, Lord, that as we spend time this morning, that you would give us a clear picture, both of you, but also of ourselves. Father, set us free from the things that hold us, the things that bind us, the things that distract us, that tempt us away from you. And keep us on the straight path, in Jesus' name. Amen. Actually, can I just say a quick thank you to uh, all those who do the sound and do the visuals? Um, Can we just thank them by giving them a round of applause? Some of us, and this is personal confession, we did the confession earlier, are a challenge for some of those people. Uh, in the way we operate, so thank you for all you're doing. But I wonder this morning, when you close your eyes late at night, when you're just about to go to bed, what goes, is going through your mind? As you lay your head down on your pillow, what's in your mind? What's going through your mind on your average evening as you lay your head down? See, I wonder when David did that, when David closed his eyes at night, whether he had Goliath's ugly mug in his, in his head, or by even, even an image of Bathsheba maybe, or what about being in the Valley of Elah or around all the different battles that he'd been part of with his men? Or what about remembering a moment in a cave Or maybe, just maybe, David counted a lot of sheep at night. Sorry, sorry. But as David looked back on his life, as David looked back, he saw God's faithfulness to him. It's an amazing prayer we look at this morning. I'm just going to touch on a few things in it. His life, David's life, and David recognized it, David knew it, was, a, uh, was an outworking of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, the evidence of God's providence and his goodness in his life. The prayer is one of those moments in David's life where we get to see that in practice as David's life flashes before his eyes. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Remember, David was the least and the last member of his family. But he's become the most powerful person in Israel. He can hardly believe who he's come. He can hardly believe as he looks the journey that he's been through. But with God's hand in his life, it's an extraordinary story. But the journey of identity does begin with a very simple question, who am I? But even more important than asking that question that many of us ask is this, who are you directing that question to? Is the question directed towards God or not? See, if you ask David's brothers, if you ask David's father, if you ask Goliath, if you ask one of David's men, if you ask Bathsheba, if you ask all those people in David's life and said, who is David? Some would answer positively, some would answer negatively. 
Some would pick out personal traits in David's lives. Others would pick out other parts of his life. However, none of those people, none of those people saw who David was to become. Who am I? Who are you? I wonder when was the last time you sat in God's presence and asked God that question? Who am I? So you've got to spend time in God's presence. So if you attempt to answer that question in isolation of God outside the uh, relationship with your creator, it will lead and so often leads to a case of of mistaken identity. Um, During the time I spent, I spent quite a long time in the NHS as part of what I did before I became uh, a vicar. And one of the things of spending time in the NHS was that actually they were amazing at investing a lot of time in people, investing in people. So I ended up going on rather too many courses, uh, I have to say, but, one of the courses that I went on, uh, amongst many, and some of you may be aware, has anybody heard of the Jahari window? One or two people heard of the Jahari window? Well, it's basically a tool that a couple of psychologists developed, which is a way of helping people understand themselves a little bit more, but also helping people understand how other people are and how they behave. And what they've done is they've, they've put it into a four-paned window of understanding ourselves, but also understanding others. It's like looking at our identity through four different quadrants. So, has anybody in the, the Donald Rumsfeld? Anybody remember? He was mocked during one of the Iraq wars for saying there are known knowns, there are known unknowns, there are unknown unknowns, and there are unknown knowns. And what he was trying to say is, there's lots of stuff we know and lots of stuff stuff we don't know, and it's a way of trying to describe this. We basically, oh, have we lost it now? But basically, on the top quadrant of that screen, it's saying there are things in your public life that you know about yourself and other people know about you, about your life. They know who you are, you know who you are, and that's in the public display. In the other quadrant, there are things that you know about yourself that nobody knows here. And that will be true of you. That can be both good and bad. There can be dreams and ambitions that you've held in your heart, and your life that you've never shared with anybody. But there also can be things you've done that you're privately ashamed of and never actually told anybody about. The hidden life that you know about. The other side on the bottom left quadrant is uh, where you need profits in your life. There are things where we have blind spots. There are things that we, we just don't know about ourselves that other people see in us both good and bad. And so one of the role of being in community and being part of a community and also having people alongside us is to able to, to see ourselves more clearly, is to enable people to speak into our life both positively and negatively, to call out those things that are good in our life that we just don't see, and also to, to also bring us into, into the light those things that we do that frankly are unhelpful and also ungodly. But the fourth window which is the bottom right one, is the difficult one for if you're a psychologist or you're kind of just a humanist, which is this, is that there are unknown unknowns. I mean, there's stuff we don't know and there's stuff nobody else knows. One of the beauties of this little model is that for a Christian, this is an amazing thing. 
Because in that quadrant is the kind of thing that God knows about you that only God knows about you. And that God wants to call out of you and bring into being within you. This is a God quadrant where only the Holy Spirit could begin to breathe into life things about you and things God wants to draw you into and to enable you to become that isn't just a product of yourself or of other people. And it's a nice little tool. Because our true identity can only be found in relation to God. That's what Christians believe. God knows you better than you know yourself this morning. And because he designed us, that we won't enable us to get to know ourselves unless we get to know God. C.S. Lewis, a famous uh, Christian writer, writes this in Mere Christianity. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. So if you want to find yourself, the Christian uh, aspect of this is you need to look for God. Most of us spend a lot of our times living in one of those quadrants, particularly the arena for public consumption. We live for the pleasing other people. We love for pleasing ourselves. And we get lost. We get bound. We get confused about who we are and what we're called to be and what we're called to do. We're so swayed by the opinion of the last person we saw or the last person or our parents' views of us that just bind us to what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And what happens is we become strangers to ourselves and strangers to others. See, true freedom is only found when we come out behind the facade and we see some honesty before God, but it's before God. The playwright and writer Oscar Wilde famously said this. He said, the final mystery is oneself. When one has weighed the sun in the balance, when one has measured the steps of the moon, when one's mapped out the seven heavens star by star, there still remains oneself. Who can calculate the orbit of his own soul? See, it's very easy in our world to feel very unimportant or insignificant when there are billions of people populating this earth. But the reality is this morning is that we're invaluable, we're unique, and we're irreplaceable. And let me put that, if you don't believe that this morning about yourself, let me put it in family terms this morning. If you told me this morning that only one of Joe and I's children would love me at the end of my life, do you think that would be good enough for me? Do you think that would be good enough for me if only one of my children loved me at the end of my life? Of course not. Of course not. Each of my children is beautiful and unique. Each of them do I love. Each of them do, I, do they love me. And I cherish Hannah and differently, Hannah and Joshua differently. They are unique. They're not the same. And I love them differently because they're unique and different. And that's how God loves us, uniquely 
He uniquely shares his love in each of our lives in different ways and, and his love for us. Why? Why does God do it like that? Why does God demonstrate his love for us in unique and different and distinct ways? Because there is only one of us. There is only one of us. His love for you is unlike his love for anyone else. And that brings us all the way back to where we began in this story, looking at David's life. There never has been and never will be anybody this morning like you. But that isn't a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. Your uniqueness isn't a gift, just a gift from God. It's your gift to God and a life surrendered and stewarded in giving back to him. And the best form of worship, at the heart of any vision of worship, is allowing God to enable us to be the people he created us to be. Worship isn't a lifestyle. Worship is life. It's who we're made to be. Our identity and our discovery of, of identity always leads, however, in one of two directions. It either leads in self-worship or worship of God. It's self-worship or worship of God. See, if you, don't ident- if you don't recognize your life is uniquely created, uniquely made, and you don't realize that's something God has given to you preciously, then we end up becoming proud. We get caught up in our gifts and our abilities. Our egos start getting inflated and we get beyond ourselves. However, if we see our unique gifts, our unique abilities as God's gift to us to be stewarded, to be given, then it leads to a life of worship that pleases God. And it leads, like David says, very beautifully put in this prayer, is our our uniqueness reveals God's greatness. David's story is a story of God's greatness and how he takes him from virtually nowhere to somewhere that's extraordinary as well. And that's precisely what David declares in our reading. He doesn't celebrate himself, he celebrates God. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. Each of us has our identity wrapped up in our past, our present, and our future. It's who I was, who I am, and who I'm going to become. And the day is coming for all of us when we will hear the voice of God and we have a choice about this, calling us a new name. And that name, our true name, will reveal who we truly are. It's only God who sees the whole picture of the whole of our lives. These are the words from Revelation 2. 17 it says this who he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes i will give some of the hidden manna i'll also give him a white stone with a new name written on it known only to him who receives it in revelation 2:17 i don't know whether you in your own life have recognize some moments where you literally your breath has been taken away by what you've experienced you may have been overcome by a beauty that's so beautiful that it literally takes your breath away it's like a little moment where you think heaven has invaded earth maybe one of the moments for me um, 
was when I went to this place for the first time. Never encountered beauty like it. Never. Even in Yorkshire. <laughs> but what it did is it literally took my breath away. When I encountered beauty that was way beyond anything that I'd seen before. Beauty is a way of stopping us, stopping us and drawing us back in awe and wonder of who God is and who he's made us to be and the beauty of his creation. And for all of us, I think it's very easy to live just in the present and the now. But I think heaven will consist of being awed in God's beauty, God's splendor, and God's majesty, his holiness, his goodness, his greatness. As we behold Christ, the one who gave everything for us, and to hear our Father call us by name, our true name. It's an image of awe, of wonder, of splendor, but also of intimacy, of closeness, and being personal as well. And in that moment, I think our lives will make sense. Many of us struggle with some of the brokenness and the difficulties and the pain and the suffering of our life, all the pain, all the hardships that we've experienced in this life, all the anxiety, all the hopes and dreams that, th that have been thwarted, all the confusion that we may have experienced on this earth will make sense in the light of eternity, in the light of heaven as we spend time with God, as we see our true identities and our true names. For those of you here who are parents, I wonder how difficult you found it to name your children. I actually found it a very challenging thing to give a name to our children. In fact, it was particularly difficult for me uh, and Joe, partly when Josh was born, we were still sat in the delivery suite with the name book trying to decide what to call him. Giving somebody a name matters. It's significant. And it's a responsibility. Names reveal something about the person who holds them, who hold their name. Nicknames are things that we give to people to try and demonstrate something of their personalities that we see in them. Names matter. One of the challenging bits in my own personal life is I remember my mum particularly had a very difficult upbringing and she hated her name. She felt it was given to her out of anger. And she longed for a new name. And in fact, right at the end, right towards the end of her life, she actually started calling herself a new name. Gave herself a new name. Why? She longed to find a true identity and a name that reflected who she was. But ultimately, that can only be found in God. who will give us a name that is truly ours. Who can speak life into us and over us. When Jesus was on this earth, when he saw Simon, he was Peter. So he called him the rock. When he looked at James and John, he called them the sons of thunder. 
these new names revealed some of their God-given potential that was buried beneath all the other stuff of life. And in the same way, that's how God sees us, the true us. He sees us who we're created to become. The unique name he has for each one of us is he's calling us into our individual purpose and identity. And what really matters is how God sees us in the eyes of our creator who formed us in our inmost being. But as we look at David towards the end of his life, generations had gone by. David actually had now become a distant memory. But what does Scripture record in other places? David's legacy was still alive and well. More than five decades after the death of David, God established Asa, the son of Abijah, the king of Judah. But God did not establish Asa in that role because of the righteousness of his father, Abijah. But in fact, Abijah did what, uh, did what was wrong in the eyes of the law. And 1 Kings 15, 4 and 5 says this, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did, was, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Did you catch that? David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and he established it for David's sake. Why did God establish Asa as king of Judah? It wasn't for his sake. God did it for one reason, and for one reason alone, for David's sake, Scripture records. And for some of us, I know this is quite a big thing, but the blessings we enjoy really are the fruit of a bygone generation. Sometimes they are the byproduct of somebody else's faithfulness. And that person's faithfulness nets blessings generations to come. It's what scripture shows us again and again. We're not just here in one little body here now. And that's certainly true of my life. My own life is a testament to the faithfulness of generations gone by. That's an inheritance I have received. I had two parents who prayed for me each day. What an amazing inheritance to take hold of and to steward in some way. And this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a child of God. You are part of God's family. Your destiny is part of Jesus Christ's legacy. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you begin a new chapter in life, and a chapter that will never end. As we celebrate in communion in a minute, in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, curses or generational things are broken at the foot of the cross. Simply put, we don't need to be bound by the mistakes we've made. We don't need to be bound by our sin or other sins. We bring it all to the cross of Jesus Christ. And for the record, in Asa's life, he did, unlike his dad, but just like his great-grandfather David, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We do leave behind a legacy for the next generation. It's a part of the inheritance we all leave behind. Those beautiful verses that say, David served God's purpose in his own generation. David served God's purposes in his own generation. But he did more than that. He also left a legacy for generations to come, including the son of David, 
Jesus Christ. So I come to a, to a conclusion. The journey of discovering our identities reveals a huge amount more than our purpose. It reveals the legacy that we will leave, the inheritance that we will be remembered by, and that matters. It really does matter. Ultimately, that is determined that by our choices and by our decisions, by our actions and by our reactions to the things that each of us encounter in our own lives. And I recognize that there are all sorts of challenges in life. I understand some of the difficulties. But if you put your trust in Christ, we're not called to be victims in this world. We're on the victory side. We're called to be more than conquerors. After all, that is who you are in Christ. You're not defined by what you've done wrong. You're defined by what Christ has done right for you, his righteousness for you that enables us to come and approach him boldly and freely. And there comes a moment in every one of our lives where we have the opportunity to say yes to him, to say yes to to Jesus, to say yes to God and his purposes for each one of us. And this morning, I wonder whether you'll do that. How does that start? But like David did, simply by sitting before the Lord and asking this question, who am I? That will kickstart the journey each one of us are called to that will continue through all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that wherever we've come from, whether rich or poor, whether educated in a classroom or educated through life, whether we come to you um, sick and broken, or we come to you healed and restored, whether we come to you as an extrovert or whether we come to you as an introvert, whether we come from around the world or we come from England, whether we come to you strong or whether we come to you weak, whether we come to you successful or whether we come to you frustrated and disappointed, whether we come to you broken, or whether we come to you healed, whether we come to you with big dreams and big hopes, or we're just holding on to life, whether we come to you young, old, or in the middle. Father, I thank you for your hand on each one of our lives. Thank you for the welcome that is offered to us to participate in the life you have come to bring in Jesus. Father, would you enable us to take hold of who we are in you, to put aside the rubbish and the things that gets in the way of life. Would you free us in the name of Jesus from the things that hold us back, the things that hold us down, the things that draw us away from you and lead us into the life you have for us. Father, we want to lift our eyes upwards too and recognize as we look at you that you are great, you are sovereign, you are good, and your love endures forever.
Amen. Is, um, is Pete still here? <laughs>